I'd like to welcome Feroz to Cyberbytes, the podcast. Feroz is the CEO of Socket, and I'll let him do a, a nice intro. Great to have you, Feroz. How are you? I'm doing good, Stefan. Thanks for having me. So I'll tell you quickly about Socket. Um, it's a tool for developers and security teams to help them use open source software safely. Uh, so we scan for vulnerable and malicious dependencies, and we really help uh, developers and security teams to uh, improve their security posture when it comes to how they use open source. Uh, and we have some pretty cool uh, things that differentiate us from some of the other legacy uh, dependency security tools on the market. Right. Cool. And we'll go into more detail about Socket and um, the, the problems you solve for your customers, but keen to rewind the clock a little bit for us. Um, for those in the open source community, they'll be valid, very familiar, I'd imagine, with your name, um, with what you've what you've done in the and contributed to the space. So keen to rewind, um, if you can tell the audience a little bit about who you are and your background, um, starting as far back as you like. Yeah, sure. So... Uh, I've been working as an open source maintainer for the past 10 years. Uh, I've written a bunch of open source packages, uh, mostly in the JavaScript uh, and some a little bit in the Python ecosystems. Um, so I have a, a really, really large number of, of downloads of, of that software, um, something like a billion downloads a month at the moment. So it's, wow. it's um, yeah, it's quite, it's quite a responsibility, to be honest with you, um, knowing that that many companies and, and different organizations are using the code I wrote. And that's kind of how I came to the, you know, to, to realize the the problem with our software supply chains. Because at the time when I got into open source, I was, you know, in my early 20s and I was, you know, just writing code that I thought was cool, that I wanted to see exist, putting it up on GitHub. Uh, and then to quite to my surprise, finding that the Fortune 500 were just using the code and put, shipping it into production. Wow. And, you know, and, 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 and this is a pretty typical open source story. A lot of the times people just put code out there for their own use, maybe to share with their friends, maybe they, they're solving their own problems, scratching their own itch. And then before they know it, um, some popular project adds that code as a dependency. And before you know it, and now, you know, my dependencies are in, you know, most of the Fortune 500 software supply chains somewhere, right? Um, and that's a lot of the responsibility that I have now as a maintainer and 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 uh, in, in terms of keeping my code safe, making sure that uh, everybody contributing to the project is trustworthy, um, handing off the project potentially to somebody who might take it over when I'm you know finished working on it or don't have time to work on it. There's lots of risks that can come up with um, with open source. And you know unfortunately, the way that most companies um, use this code, as I learned, is is they don't really know what they're using. Um, usually any developer in the company can just grab whatever open source code they need to solve their problems and, um, and developers, you know, they're, they're rewarded for shipping features. And, and so, you know, if, a, if an open source, uh, project helps them get that done faster, well, they're going to grab that code and they're going to use it. Right. And, um, and so, uh, it's, it's been, it's, it's been pretty hard as a developer to know what is safe and what is not. Um, same thing with the, for security teams, right? I mean, they're in a difficult position as well, um, wanting to let their developers move fast and you know and use modern tools. Um, but meanwhile, they're they're dealing with you know these massive dependency trees of thousands and thousands of dependencies. Um, and so anyway, that's my background. I I've been writing. I, I'm <laughs> you could say I'm part of the problem in some sense because I've written you know a few hundred of those dependencies that end up in in a lot of companies' uh, dependency trees in one way or another. Um, but I, I'm also, you know, I've also done 
done everything I could to make sure that code is safe and secure. And, and now really just trying to take some of those learnings and help scale it out to, to more and more companies so that they can, uh, they can be safe in how they use their open source. Yeah, that's interesting. And am I right in saying Socket wasn't the first startup, right? There was a, there was, was there one or two before setting up Socket? Yeah, I had a, I, I did a company back in uh, 2013 um, called Pure CDN, which was a little bit ahead of its time. Um, it was a uh, distributed uh, CDN using peer-to-peer -peer technology to help uh, kind of help your website visitors help to serve the content of your website in uh, in a safe, in a kind of fast and safe way. Um, but it was a little bit of a mad science project, <laughs> to be quite honest. A lot of cool technology, um, you know, not not as good of a business, but I learned a lot from that experience. Um, did end up selling it to Yahoo and uh, working at Yahoo for a while um, after uh, the acquisition. Um, cool. Yeah, yeah. How how did that come about then? So were, were they did they essentially hire you to build to start working on that that tech internally, or was there a sale and then you were just brought on as as well? Yeah, so we decided to sell the company um, to them. You know, they it was it was it was a bit of a small team. So we we just joined the video team and helped ship their new mobile video player and um, improve the way that they serve video with some of some of our technology. Um, so it was you know it was a you know you could call it an aqua hire. It was it was a it was a small team and you know we we sort of just you know uh, joined the, the existing organization. Uh, and, it, but it was a really good outcome for me. It was a couple of years out of college and it was, uh, it was super, you know, just a super eye-opening and, you know, awesome mm. kind of experience to go through. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And out of interest, like what, what took you to software engineering? Like, how did you get into the space originally? Is it like back as a kid, you were tinkering with computers, that sort of thing. Was there a moment you're like, yeah, this is what I want to do. Yeah. I mean, I had a, a, a few moments throughout my life that, uh, I could kind of look back on as being kind of, kind of, uh, you know, critical one is, um, I mean, I don't know. I've always, I've always wanted to understand how things work. Um, so, I mean, I remember this one uh, time when my parents got a new microwave and, uh, they, you know, they plugged it in and, you know, started using it and, you know, getting it set up. And I grabbed the manual for the microwave and read the whole thing front to back when I was like, you know, six or something or seven, I don't remember how old I was, but pretty young. And, um, I remember this feature, you know, child lock that I found in the manual. And if you hit a certain sequence of buttons, you could lock the whole microwave and prevent anyone from using it. And so whenever I got in trouble with my parents, uh, you know, you know, got grounded or something, I just go and lock the microwave and then my, my mom couldn't use it uh, <laughs> until I let her. <laughs> and so, you know, uh, I mean, there are lots of things like that where, you know, I, I kind of, I was always trying to understand how things worked, whether it was, you know, just pushing all the buttons to see, you know, to figure out every nook and cranny, every feature of whatever thing I was, you know, was in front of me. Um, and then the other thing I think that kind of, um, I think it's, it's actually true for a lot of people in the security space, which is that, that, um, you know, security people have a, have a kind of a mischievous like mindset, you know, they don't just take the written rules mm. for granted. So if the rules, you know, are supposed to, you know, the rules are written up and they say, okay, this is how it works, right? This is how, this is, these are the rules of the system. The, the security, this person with the security mindset will look at that and say, well, okay, first of all, are there any loopholes in that? Can I just, just based on the rules, can I, can I, can I take advantage of this? What would I do if I was just trying to be, you know, as malicious as possible uh, in interpreting these rules, right? Um, and then the other thing you really, you know, you see, and this is def was definitely true of me, was you, uh, you, you sort of, realize that with computers, a lot of the time, the real rules of the system don't actually match the the written rules. 
So there's the true rules and then there's the written rules. And if you find a difference between those two, like the true rules, the actual rules differ, then usually that's some type of a, you know, that's some type of a security vulnerability or an exploit or something you can take advantage of. Because everybody thinks it's working one way, but actually the the true rules, the the real rules are different. And that's that's basically what hacking is at at the at the end of the day. It's it's just finding those differences between, uh, you know, between the the written rules and the actual rules. And so I've always been, my mind's always worked like that. You know, I've always kind of, uh, you know, found, uh, found reasons to, to try to poke at systems, whether it's changing the parameters in a URL to see, well, you know, can I access something I'm not supposed to access and that type of thing. So, uh, it's probably a pretty common, uh, common backstory for a lot of people who are interested in security, I, I would imagine. Sure. Yeah. It's fascinating. And then, Going, moving to Socket, um, so, so your business where you're at now, uh, what's the main problem that Socket solves for customers? Yeah, yeah. So l- like I said, I was a maintainer. I got really fed up with the state of security. Um, we were building uh, a product called Wormhole. Uh, you can uh, check it out at wormhole.app. Uh, and we face this problem that a lot of companies face, which is, you know, we have a ton of dependencies. I think we had about 1,500 or 2,000 dependencies. And, uh, you know, we wanted to know whether these things were safe or not. And we started asking around to different companies, like how do you vet your open source dependencies to ensure that they don't have uh, bad vulnerabilities and most importantly, supply chain attacks within them, right? Supply chain risk, supply chain attacks. This is when um, a dependency is compromised by a bad actor intentionally, right? So not just a vulnerability, but actually something with malicious intent, like like a like a package getting hijacked, uh, malicious code being added, a backdoor being added. Um, and what we found was, uh, and I talked to about forty CISOs and and heads of security and AppSec leaders, and I I was I didn't get any good answers. The, the basically the best answer I heard was, well, just use a vulnerability scanner, right? Use something like a you know. Pinabot or, or or you know some other scanning tool and it'll tell you if you're, if the, if the code is safe, but uh, that really doesn't doesn't work for detecting supply chain attacks. What we learned and you know and, and I think the industry is starting to recognize now is that if you actually want to stop a supply chain attack, you can't rely on a reactive tool that only tells you about known vulnerabilities yeah. um, because you're basically waiting around for the security research community to find vulnerabilities and then report them to uh, you know, the NVD database and then a CVE number gets assigned and, you know, so on and so forth. But that's not going to catch, that's not going to catch a hijacked package. Um, and we've seen so many stories like this in, in the JavaScript and Python communities where a project gets taken over by a bad actor, malicious code is added, right? And a week or two could go by before anyone even realizes this. And, you know, I'm thinking of one incident that really opened my eyes back in 2018, um, a package got compromised uh, that was called Event Stream, and it was used by, uh, I think it had a million downloads a week. So very, very popular. And targeted code was added into that package that uh, would attack one specific organization. And it didn't, it was a, it was a no-op for everybody else. So it didn't, it didn't like, you know, it didn't really pop up onto a lot of people's radars. And unfortunately, the company that was targeted ended up building that into their desktop application, shipping it to their users, and their users were attacked. And, you know, they had a bunch of, it was a, it was a big kind of crypto heist that, that followed. And, you know, and, and you know, I kept seeing stuff like that and, and thinking like, certainly we can do better. I mean, you know, right now the status quo is literally nobody 
looks at the source code of their dependencies. They just use them. They maybe put them through a scanner tool that says there's no known vulnerabilities, so this thing must be safe. But in actuality, no one's actually looked at that code to see what the behavior is. What is it going to do when you run it? Is it going to steal all your information and no one knows that yet because no one's, you know, the community hasn't found that that out yet, right? And so um, that's basically what Socket does, right? We, we're able to actually detect that type of malicious behavior within open source code and mm -hmm. surface it even before a vulnerability has been uh, filed. And so by by using Socket, you can actually stop uh, like a zero day supply chain attack. Uh, we will alert the developer, we will alert the security team, and we will say, hey, this dependency that you're using, that you're installing or that you're updating to, uh, this dependency has malicious behavior, you know, and, and we'll we'll call it out uh, and, and, and link directly to it. Um, so that's how it works. Yeah. And what, what common mistakes do you see companies make when it comes to supply chain security? Well, I mean, the biggest one is like, like I just said, I think a lot of people, um, the, they, it's like, you know, the story of the person who's looking for their keys that they lost, but they're looking under the, under the streetlight. Um, but when someone comes by and says, Hey, where did you lose your keys? They say, Oh, well, I lost them way over there. Uh, and then, you know, it's like, why are you looking under the, under the streetlight? Well, it's, it's easier to search here because the light is there. Right. So that's basically what the whole security industry is doing. And, you know, I don't want to, I'm not trying to throw anyone under the bus. This is actually, you know, it's until until socket, it's been a pretty hard problem to solve. Um, but I would say I think collectively we're all specifically the, the security vendors in the space, in in the SCA space, uh, software composition analysis space, are basically obsessed with vulnerabilities to the exclusion of all these other sources of actual supply chain risk. Um, and that's just because it's easy. You know, all they'd have to do is you know what? What almost all these products just do is they download this this vulnerability database from the you know the NVD, which is you know run by the government by the U.S. government, and they just resell that data. Maybe they they augment it and clean it up a little bit, but fundamentally they're just selling this this public database of CVEs to everybody, and uh, and and that's and that's that's just not good enough anymore. If you actually want to be protected from a supply chain attack, um, you know there's all kinds of things that 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 approach just misses. So I think that's the main thing I think uh, is just people are, we're seeing more and more companies, a lot of socket customers that, that we've added in the last year, recognizing that these legacy vulnerability scanning tools are really missing a big part of the picture. Um, and and so they're, they're, they're looking to modern tools like socket to actually detect those risks. Yeah, it's interesting because I know you guys are growing pretty quick and you're displacing some of the customers um, that you, you're up against, right? Or your competitors. Um, are you seeing like a market shift? Because I can imagine there's a lot of education that goes on here, right? Because it's it's a new tool to the market. How are you seeing things shifting? Yeah. So we've done really well with uh, some of the top security teams, the, the really early adopters, the people who really get it. Um, we have some amazing uh, customers. Uh, you can see some of the logos on our, our website. Um, and we're now sort of shifting into a little bit of the... Um, uh, less early adopter crowd. So bigger and bigger enterprises are starting to now get the message and, and, you know, uh, want to, to have some story for how, how are they protecting their developers from making a mistake? You know, what's to stop a developer at their company from typoing one of their installs and just bringing in a random untrusted code into the company, right? Um, how, what, what is their story for how they're going to stop uh, a malicious dependency from from coming into the organization, and so we're seeing that even now in kind of uh, 
I wouldn't say late adopter, but sort of the middle, the middle companies are starting to now take note. And we're, we've, we've replaced a ton of, of the, some, some of the legacy competitors that are out there. Um, and they've just completely switched to socket and ripped out the old tooling. I um, mean, the best part is we do the vulnerability stuff too. So you don't have to like give that up. I mean, obviously vulnerability management is, is like, you know, it's important to keep doing that. We're not against that. And socket uh, reports on, on, on CVEs. Uh, we do reachability analysis to help eliminate um, CVEs that are unreachable. So we can cut down on the noise by like 90, 95%. Nice. Um, so we do what we do all that stuff. That's, but in my opinion, that stuff's just table stakes. I mean, that's like everybody should every everybody should be doing that. All these all these tools should be doing that if they're not already. The real um, kind of gap that we fill is that, that no one else is really filling is uh, is going beyond that and, and saying, look, is this you know is which of our dependencies are are risky for other reasons? Like, do they have a are they abandoned? Is there no maintainer? Right? Are they published by by somebody in a you know, in a, in a sketchy, uh, location, right. Um, was there, was there obfuscated code added? So these types of risks that really, um, just aren't on, aren't, aren't detectable by the uh, legacy tooling. And out of interest, I don't know how technical we can go here, but with socket, how does it actually work then? Like what's the technology behind the platform innate to enable it to, to find mm -hmm. these, um, that, yeah, these, these threats, um, within supply chain. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I can get into it. I mean, I don't know how technical the the audience is, um, but I'm happy to to go as deep as you want to. <laughs> It'll be a mix. So maybe like uh, mid level. I'm trying to keep okay. it um, as yeah understandable for the non techies as possible. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, uh, the fundamental kind of difference between us and and other scanning tools that are out there is that we actually download the source code of the open source dependencies. And we scan that source code. Um, other tools just scan your source code and look at your dependencies you're using. And just again, they do that simple database lookup and say, okay, you know, you guys are using, you know, foo version one. We happen to know that that's vulnerable. You should update to foo version two. That's really what the other tools do. But we say, oh, you're using we, we say you, oh, you're using foo version one. Let's go download the code for foo version one. And let's actually open it up and look at it. And in an automated way, using static analysis and metadata analysis and actually some LLM uh, sort of AI stuff too, um, we pull out uh, specific insights about what the behavior of that package will be. So we'll be able to say, hey, this thing accesses the network. It reads your environment variables. It sends your it sends your tokens to an IP address in Russia. Like we'll be able to tell you that level of granularity because wow. we're actually analyzing the code of the dependency. Yeah, yeah. So we can find we can just find risks that the other tools can't even see, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's so interesting. And then I know recently, um, everyone will be familiar in the security space of the ledger, um, attack. And I know that you guys were able to catch this pretty early compared to your, your current, uh, or some of your competitors, right. That were reporting no security issues. How is that, how was that possible? Talk, talk to us about the, the ledger attack. Yeah. Yeah. So the ledger attack was, uh, a supply chain attack. Um, and, and it, you know, it, it, it was a, it's a pretty significant, um, attack, you know, I mean, ledger makes a hardware wallet, uh, as, as a lot of people know, uh, that helps, uh, you know, helps you store your crypto, but they also have a, um, kind of a, a JavaScript SDK to help, uh, you know, de decentralized app developers to connect to the, the ledger and, and 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 kind of interact with it in, in, in various ways. 
And so what got compromised in this attack was the, the JavaScript library that the Ledger um, team was publishing. Um, and so malicious code was added into that library and downstream users of that library then were affected. So every single user of this Ledger library um, was, was, was running this compromised code because of this dependency, right? And so the, the way we caught this is, I mean, that's is exactly what we built Socket to detect. It's like it's like our bread and butter is this exact type of situation where a library becomes untrusted because bad code was added to it. So, you know, we, uh, like I mentioned, we used the static signals. So we looked in the code and found, you know, stuff in there that shouldn't have been in there. And then we also, um, we have this LLM feature, which we call Socket AI. Um, and, and I know I know AI is like is like snake oil to a lot of uh, a lot of the security community, but I you know I think LLMs really I gotta say they really are um, different and 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 useful in, in certain ways. So the way we use it is we actually were able to um, automatically um, generate an explanation um, with the, with the LLM uh, explaining what the attack is, uh, and this all happens within seconds of the package being published, right? So right. You, you have you have a bad package go live, right? Ledger community is affected. Socket has already downloaded that code within seconds, analyzed it with our static analysis, put it through an LLM, written up an explanation about why it's dangerous, and blocked it for all of our customers, right? That's the that's like the workflow. Um, and we have a post that kind of details how this all works. But this is like exactly kind of what we, you know, it it's 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 sad it's sad that the attack happened, but it's also a great illustration of like exactly what we designed Socket to detect. So you know we had a lot of people um, after this attack reach out to us and say, okay, this is pretty convincing. We we want this protection for ourselves. <laughs> how do we how do we get this? The attack wasn't staged, was it? For us, it wasn't you hacking in. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. There's, unfortunately, there's plenty of of these attacks happening every week without us needing to stage anything. Uh, I think we detect something like a hundred of these per week right now on NPM, PyPy, and Go alone. So, you know, I know there's that conspiracy that you know antivirus makers uh, publish uh, uh, viruses. You know, back in the you know kind of in the days of, of, of when, when we all used uh, antivirus software a bunch, but I promise you that's, that's not what's going on here. There's a plenty of, uh, there's plenty of this stuff happening on its own just because of how permissive these, these open source um, communities are. Anyone can publish code. So, you know, you're going to get a bunch of stuff like this just because of the, uh, the way that it works, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I hear. And in terms of yeah. like future looking, how, how do you see the future of, I don't know how broad we want to go, maybe supply chain security um, or even security if you want to go that broad as well. How do you see that looking over the next few years? Well, I mean, you see this this increasing focus on supply chain. So, you know, there's the, the stuff that uh, is kind of most obvious is the executive orders uh, from the White House uh, and CISA. There's a lot of interest in, in securing the software supply chain. Um, Specifically, the federal government now wants vendors that sell software to the federal government to provide an SBOM, which is a software bill of materials, basically detailing, you know, the full set of open source code that's used within the, you know, within the software that the government is purchasing. Um, that's pretty huge, uh, and it's it's really um, it's really brought you know this issue to a lot of people's uh, minds and, and and kind of forced forced the point, I guess. Um, but uh, I think what we're going to see is, you know, just generating an SBOM is the first step. It's, right. I've seen very few people actually put these to use in a useful way. So you, you see a lot of people generating them, but my, my question is always, okay, now what, right? Okay. So now you know what, what open source you're using now, what, like, what are you going to do about it? And that's why, you know, 
with socket right you can combine the s bomb and and our insights about the dependencies that that you know we we know about and we can tell you you know which which of those dependencies are are concerns right which of them um uh you know are unmaintained which of them have sketchy code which of them access the network which of them you know uh you know, might might be malicious. Um, you know, et cetera, et cetera, right? Which which obviously, and obviously, which ones have vulnerabilities? Um, and so, uh, I, I think that's going to be a. Uh, it's going to take a while. It's not going to go as fast as people are are hoping. I think, but I think you know, ten years from now, um, you know, five, ten years from now, I think uh, you know we're going to see s bombs everywhere. Um, but it is going to take a lot longer than people think. Um, yeah. And. Yeah, and I and I and I, but but I'm excited to see kind of the the focus on this supply chain security um, increasing. Yeah, too right. And and what does the future hold for Socket? Um, what what's the plans maybe this year? I don't know how much you can share um, this year, maybe over the next couple of years as well. Yeah, well, I mean, so you know, we're we're growing uh, and you know, hiring a bunch of people on the team. Um, our main priority uh, is adding additional language support. So um, you know we we want to cover every programming language that uh, our customers use with with our you know detailed uh, you know open source analysis that we can do. So um, there's there's a bit of work to to add new languages and and so um, we're adding them at a very fast pace. Uh, Java's coming out this quarter. Uh, next quarter we got Ruby coming. Um, we already support JavaScript, Python, Go. Uh, so I think it's a really exciting time for people to jump on the Socket platform because. Um, we support most of the important languages that companies um, use, and uh, you know, by the end of this year, we're going to have support for pretty much everything that anybody uh, anybody really um, wants. So that's going to be a huge that's going to be a huge deal because most people want to buy a tool that covers you know all the languages that they they use in their organization, and uh, and so you know we're gonna um, we're gonna be able to give that that to them. Yeah, you'll be fit for purpose. Sounds good. And if if someone wants to get in contact with you or Socket, what's the best way that they can do that for us? Yeah, so uh, our website's socket.dev. Um, super easy, socket.dev. Uh, and if you want to email me, uh, I'm just Faros at socket.dev. Uh, so that's uh, F-E-R-O-S-S at socket.dev. And um, yeah, feel free to get in touch if you want to talk about um, really anything, open source, security. Um, I, you know, I love getting emails from people and happy to... Uh, to chat at any time. Right. Um, is, is there anything else that you wanted to to add um, before we wrap up? Uh, no. Uh, I mean, uh, it's a super exciting time in the security space right now. I mean, with uh, with especially with LLMs, uh, there's so much to do. I think it's just a, it's a cool it's a cool time to be uh, to be working in security. And I, I hope uh, folks are you know really uh, excited about just. All the stuff that's happening, you know, there's it's it's like it's rare that you see these big like platform shifts. And I think I just think you know, uh, whatever you think of like you know whether LLMs are gonna you know gonna kill us all or whatever, <laughs> you know, uh, it's it's certainly like been exciting for security from a security perspective, both from like you know how our attackers are gonna use this, but also obviously how how defenders can start using start using these in in our products and and uh, and so um, there's just so much to do. It's a really exciting time. Yeah. Too right. Well, it's been a, a pleasure to chat with you for us. Um, thanks for sharing those insights. Um, and we'll connect again soon. Cool. Thanks, Stefan. Awesome. Cheers for us. Have a good one. You too.